Hello and welcome to another episode of the Daily Remedy Podcast. Today we're here with Mr. Michael Johnson. Mr. Johnson is a lawyer who specializes in physician contracts. He has an active social media presence where he can be found educating physicians on best practices when it comes to negotiating and signing employee contracts. He's licensed to practice law in Wisconsin and Louisiana and graduated from the Tulane Law School in New Orleans, Louisiana. And with that, I'd like to welcome Mr. Johnson. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. So tell us how you got into physician contracts, specifically contracting for individual physicians and small medical practices. Yeah. So physician contracts really started for me on March 6th of 2016 when I was swiping around on Bumble and I met my wife. <laughs> the, the super cute girl on, on Bumble that like would end up being my wife was about to go through match. So that was, I think, five days before match. So we hit it off and we went on a couple dates like the weekend before. And she was explaining to me what, what match was. I was like, wait, what? That sounds crazy. Why would anybody do that? Uh, and we very quickly, you know, we were engaged before the end of the year and got married the next year. And I realized very quickly that I should probably learn something about physician contracts because it's going to be a big part of my life. Started looking at her first moonlighting opportunities during residency. Psychiatrists, uh, you know, have a number of opportunities typically to moonlight during residency, which is kind of cool. Um, and then I started working with some of the upper levels here and there and starting to just slowly build this practice. When I left a, uh, a downtown law firm in New Orleans, more of a litigation focused law firm in August of 2019, when uh my wife gave birth to our son. So I started a solo practice then. And since then, my law practice has been focused on helping physicians and also helping small businesses. I'll help physicians with contract matters, but also will help small practices, uh, especially if, I mean, look, I'd spend a bunch of time on IG talking about, you know, how physicians can negotiate against employers, primarily bigger employers. But there's a number of small practices that uh, our interests are aligned, that I want to help out. I want to help uh, do better and, and improve um, their competitiveness against some of the largest employers. So so that's kind of it. Um, I, it kind of just fell into it. My, my background before then was in business litigation. I did insurance litigation, construction litigation, uh, some employment related matters. I did some workers' compensation defense. So I've actually deposed a lot of doctors uh, which is kind of fun. It was an interesting kind of intro. Uh, obviously, in workers' comp, you end up doing a lot with um, pain and orthos and some of the surgical specialties. It, it becomes uh, quite important. But I had kind of a broad-based business background, business contracts background uh, that now I apply to physician contracts. It's interesting. I took a look at your YouTube video, and you mentioned something that I found very funny. You said there's no LLM or actual classes in law school about physician contracting. And what's interesting is that however unimportant it may appear in the legal profession, that's just how unimportant it appears in the medical profession. Uh, talk to us about that. I mean, what is the lack of awareness in terms of the importance of contracts and what is the concern we should have that we don't really think of contracts as something important? 
Yeah, so these are going to have a huge impact on every physician's life. But you really don't get uh, prepared for that. There's nothing in med medical school for you guys about that. There's there's very rarely anything in residency. You might have some lawyer that will come give like a one hour thing. I do this all the time as well. Uh, and that might be the only time physicians are really introduced to this idea that contracting is important and will have a huge impact on their career, their life, their happiness, all of this. Um, I would love to change that. I would love to get involved with, you know, getting in, uh, getting more active within residency programs and providing more services. That's a whole point of my IG presence is to provide as much open source information as I can to be helpful. Um, but yeah, it's just really challenging. Like a lot of the residency programs are just not well set up at this moment uh, to help physicians um, transfer all these amazing skills that they have learned okay, during their time there, transfer that into a rewarding career. They're amazing at training them, but that transfer to the next step uh, isn't, isn't really happening. So um, I would love for folks who are in that, trans uh, like that transition period, or even maybe a little bit before that period, uh, to find me and, and use this information to their advantage. It's interesting that you're providing such valuable information in such an open format, particularly on social media. What has been the reception among those in the medical community, physicians seeking contracts or just people in healthcare just saying, wow, that's something so valuable. How come it's not considered as important? Yeah, so I see uh, a lot of the responses are like, wow, I've always felt that, but I've never seen someone like yep. really spell it out. And like, I, I find that super valuable. What I, I see it a lot from like the folks that are five to 15 years in. There are a number of physicians that are in that maybe 35 to 50 year old range on IG that uh, have found me and have started commenting on a lot of things saying, yeah, I had a colleague that dealt with that exact scenario. I, I, I saw this um, in my prior employment, that sort of thing. I've seen that uh, have a huge impact on the next generation. Whenever I talk to residents and fellows that found me on IG and then contacted me, they usually say something to the effect of like, wow, I didn't realize this was so important until I started reading all the comments that were posted um, by folks that have been out for five or 10 years. And I kind of see this in a completely different light. So the, the reception has been overwhelmingly positive. Uh, it's just an incredibly rewarding way to practice law. Like practicing law is not always the most enjoyable for everybody. Um, but for me and what I do for physicians, uh, it's it's just so much fun. So I've had uh, some really nice responses, too, from some owners of small practices or, or partners at independent practices. Um, I, what I'm seeing in a general sense is that a lot of folks that are working for the largest healthcare employers uh, are not always super happy. And there's a high correlation with working for a large employer like that, directly employed in loss of autonomy, moral injury issues, uh, and just generally being unhappy. But I'm not always seeing the same corollary in like good independent private practices. So I see a really good response from those folks saying like, hey, I kind of wish all physicians coming out of residency would, would know about all of these things because then it would be easier for us to sell the quality of our practice to folks coming out of training. Um, that's interesting. And, and I want to maybe highlight that a little bit. 
is it that there's just a basic lack of awareness or is it that it's not considered important? I'm sure it's some mix of the two, but talk through what you're saying. Yeah, it's, um, so one of the challenges is that I think a lot of residency and fellowship programs do have a close relationship with some of the largest employers. So they might not be that motivated to spend a ton of time training all of their physicians on how to negotiate against someone that they kind of rely upon. Wow. You know, so it's, it's a challenge for them to, you know, put, put together a, a very meaningful like training course or set of uh, grand rounds or something like this, because all that information is going to be used to negotiate against like the partners, the folks that they rely upon to train their physicians. Uh, and obviously like residency programs, like they need physicians to sign up too. So there may be a little bit of a push to say, hey, look, uh, there's really not a good business reason for us to spend a ton of time training physicians on how to contract and how to, to turn these into uh, better contracts. Um, there might be a little bit of that going on. It's really interesting you mentioned that because it kind of highlights the limitations in the traditional venues and how physicians are taught medicine, trained, and then go out into the workforce. But in social media, none of that exists, right? You're interacting with physicians as individuals. So I'm sure the interactions are quite different in talking to physicians on social media versus seeing them in a more traditional professional setting. Do you pick up on that? Is there a difference in how they communicate? Yeah, so um, I've seen private conversations be more open about these issues yeah you know if if folks but part of it is meaningful too because there's often confidentiality and non-disclosure clauses in physician contracts so some physicians maybe rightfully are a little bit concerned about airing too much there might be something there um but in private discussions and in small groups um, I'm seeing that a lot of physicians agree with me. That this is really important information to get out there and to support, uh, support the next generation, you know, yeah. make them understand or help them understand how valuable they are, particularly if they, uh, in, in that first contract, particularly during that transition period, like, you know, you're not really treated with a lot of value during medical school, same in residency. So for like an eight to 10 year period, you're kind of stepped on. But like once that switch happens, when you get out of training and you go out, um, your mindset needs to switch. That's really, really challenging. So I'm seeing a lot of support from uh, from physicians like to help continue the training. Um, but yeah, it's it's also really nice on social media because I can say whatever I want, kind of. You know, <laughs> I, I can I can say whatever is on my mind, and I think if you follow it for a little bit. Uh, you might pick up that often I'm just talking about whatever issues I dealt with that day. Yeah. And, like we're gonna put, and we're going to put links to your social media feeds on the podcast page as well. So whoever's listening can link directly to that. Uh, yeah. Another thing, uh, switching gears, is we're also going to put a link to your website because it goes through sample physician contracts. As a matter of fact, when you go through michaeljohnsonlegal.com and you go through the physician contracts, you'll see a contract that you can actually review through. 
why do you take that approach? Why do you just put it all out there, educate whoever wants to learn about it so that they're potentially empowered, but like with all good lawyers, may not necessarily be tied to you. So it's almost a kind of catch-22 in the sense that you're presenting so much valuable information, but you're making it available freely. What's the purpose in doing that? And why do you structure contracts in such an open way? Yeah, so uh, my primary goal here is just to be helpful. Yeah, uh, I really want physicians to get better deals. They get terrible deals. And uh, I just want to help folks do better. Like, the, my, my primary goal here is altruistic. Like, I do have a law firm. Like, I do make money. You know, that's that's obvious. But I, I found from, like a, like, a business standpoint, like running a law firm, that if my clients can come to me with a better background, a better understanding, we can dive in deeper. And actually, I can serve people better if they've already consumed a bunch of my content. You know, yeah. the folks that that maybe have not don't fully understand what's going on, or maybe you're not as, as well-versed as they, they could be. They usually come to me with a couple basic questions. One is like, can I ask for more signing bonus? It's like, yeah, you can, but <laughs> right. And the other question is, will my employer really try to enforce this really gnarly non-compete that looks like, can people really do that? And I was like, yes, they can. And they do it all the time. Like the your non-compete is probably written in a way that's enforceable. So what I'm finding is the more information that I put out, the, the more information my potential clients consume, they're, they're not always come to, coming to me with those questions. They're coming to me with deeper questions. Yeah. Like, like, how do I evaluate uh, how much I'm going to make in year three through five? Instead of looking at the first piece, like how can I control my work-life balance? How can I add some protections for like call and call schedule that gets abusive over time? Like how can I control my IE and follow-up times with my patients? Because I want to practice medicine the way that I was taught in a, in a way that uh, that benefits patients. Um, and I'm I'm happy that folks are are using that to like boil down to the things that are really important. Like it's actually not that important whether you're signing bonuses fifty or hundred thousand dollars. Like I realize like you guys don't make that much during residency, but you're about to make a lot more, and that number is really just not important in the long run. All these other issues are far more important. So like providing so much open source information is actually very altruistic. Like that's my primary goal. But it is a little bit selfish to me because I, I get to do more with each each uh, each client uh, in their evaluation and negotiation if they if they consume more. Um, and also, like if you're looking to build a practice, a small private practice, then I mean, all my content's the perfect source for like how to sell it. You know, how to structure it in a way that's fair. One of my favorite blogs. Uh, is the one I think you're referencing that really just breaks down a couple different options. Yeah. Uh, the first one was in psychiatry. I need to expand it and do it in a bunch of different specialty, but it, it breaks down like a private practice option versus like a large mega health option and how the compensation works and how it changes over time. And, you know, how you really got to look at the entire package and not just the signing bonus and the initial base salary you got to read it all. You got to understand everything that they're requiring to do you to do what you're going to what they're going to pay you for it and how easy it is to exit. So uh, having all that there 
makes it easier for me to serve clients better. No, well said. And truth be told, and all your social media engagements that I've seen, you exhibit a certain genuine concern and compassion. And so that clearly shows through. And I think that's a big benefit to physicians who are approaching this with a bit of trepidation because it's really unfamiliar waters to them. And I think it's interesting, and let's expand on that because physician contracting is like other contracts in certain ways, but it has certain unique trends that very few people pick up on that you've clearly seen over the years of doing it over and over. What are the trends you see in physician contracting? Let's start there. Yeah, so people often come, physicians always often come uh, without much understanding of leverage. How, how is leverage created? Where, what is contract leverage? What does that even mean? Do I have it or not? You have contract leverage if you have value and you can easily transfer that value to another employer. Mm. Like, let's start there. That's very important. Um, so physicians coming out of residency, they often don't understand how valuable they are because they've been kind of beaten down for the last eight, 10 years or more. Uh, so training them on their value is one of my first steps. This is how valuable you are. Um, and then understanding the exit strategy these jobs are not like your normal jobs. Like if you worked a summer job before, maybe you had like a little career before you went into medicine, um, you know, you probably had a voluntary two week notice that you could give and then you just be gone and, you know, go down to the next floor and, and work. Like me as a physician, when I, as, a, as an attorney, um, when I worked on the 25th floor, like I could just go to another law firm on the 24th floor with two weeks notice and it's completely fine like you can't do that as a physician almost no physician contracts allow you to do that the exit strategy is far more restricted non-competes and non-solicits uh, can have a huge impact on where your next job is and then what you can do with your prior with your with your patients um, so a lot of physicians don't fully understand how big of an impact that will have, not only like in the beginning, but over time, like it really restricts your next best option such that your employer doesn't have to remain competitive with the best offer in your region. They just have to be a little bit better than your best option outside of your non-competing, your non-solicit, yeah. like that's a lot lower, right? And they actually don't have to keep up with the market if um if things don't work out so understanding those two pieces on the front end is super valuable the way that i like to look at physician contracts is like a three-legged stool compensation obligations and leverage and exit physicians right. love to look at a couple pieces of compensation they might want to know a little bit about the job about what they're doing but they often ignore leverage and exit uh, so not fully understanding those pieces is another trend. Um, I would say too, geographic arbitrage is a big deal. They, uh, physicians that are looking to stay in the most attractive metro areas and demand the highest compensation on like the MGMA salary data type things. And they want um, work-life balance and they don't want to work, you know, nights and weekends and holidays, that's really hard to pull off, okay? That is really, really hard. Physicians, there are so few physicians per capita in the U.S. We're actually quite low compared to our more mature, like, 
OECD counterparts. Like we don't really have enough physicians and we have a very sick population. We're one of the most unhealthy populations. So like when you look at supply and demand, um, the supply physician is too low for the demand. Okay. We actually need far more. But uh, when you look at each region and each like little section of the country, that general premise doesn't always hold up. You know, if you're in a metro area that everyone wants to live in and there's tons of residency and fellowship programs and it's just super attractive. Well, in that small area, um, the supply of physicians might also meet the demand. Maybe I, you might have less leverage, but uh, I tell you, there's some other places in this country that are absolutely gorgeous and they need physicians. Uh, they need medical care. So if you're willing to consider some other locations, uh, you can add a lot of value. You can increase your compensation. You can increase your negotiating leverage. Uh, you can really flip it quite a bit. So those are some of the, the macro trends. I see posts about today, actually. I see some employers that are faced with um, retention issues. Mm. Their physicians leave. Their non-physician providers leave. They can't hold on because their compensation and obligations mix is just unattractive. So usually in that position, they have two options. One, they improve compensation or improve obligations. That's like kind of together, right? That's option number one. Or option number two is that they strengthen their contracts regarding exit strategy and make the non-compete worse and non-solicit worse and the compensation payback pieces upon exit worse. And they push out your bonuses farther into the future, such that you got to be working at the time that you that you earn the bonus and at the time that it's paid off. They they add in all of these pieces. You know, they put that carrot just a half inch in front of the hamster wheel too far uh, and, and encourage you to stay. So I see employers in that situation too often going the extra strategy route instead of trying to improve compensation or obligations. So another I'm overarching trend. I'm glad you mentioned that because you're really looking at it in a nuanced, holistic way for the neophyte physician just getting into the workforce. There's a tendency to just look at signing bonus, non-competes, exit strategies. Oh, those check out, but not really read through and understand the implications of one covenant, how it relates to another, and so on and so forth. That seems like the most apparent mistake that a lot of physicians make. Expand on that and maybe highlight a few other mistakes that physicians make when they're going through their contracts. Yeah, one of my favorites to explain how all of these clauses kind of mesh together, they all need to be read together, okay? One of my favorite examples is comparing moonlighting clause with termination without cause, okay? Mm. If you if your employer can terminate you without cause on fairly short notice, let's say it's 30 days, that's really short for a physician without cause termination. And if you have a no moonlighting clause, you can't moonlight anywhere. Okay, now it's next to impossible for you to get a job, get it negotiated, get it signed, get recredentialed and get into a new position, start making money, like that process, even if you're like double time in it, you might be able to do it in like four or five months, maybe. Okay, yeah. it's, it's hard to change jobs quickly. So if the termination without cause clause is anything less than 90 days, usually it's 90 to 180 days, like that's kind of the sweet spot. 
Uh, anything less is risky and anything more is risky for the opposite reason, staying too long at an employer that you don't like anymore. Um, but anything in that zone is, is, is best. Um, but you can mitigate that if you're in a, in a, um, specialty where moonlighting makes sense. There's a couple of that really don't, but for most specialties, having a moonlighting option makes sense. And if you can go ahead and get a moonlighting option, like ready to go, such that if your employer does try to terminate you on 30 days notice, you could like float the rest of that time with your moonlighting gig until you get a new job. I see that a lot. Like I talk about psychiatrists quite a bit. I really encourage psychiatrists to have an open moonlighting provision for a number of different reasons. But one, because it really helps your exit strategy. If you can float your, your monthly expenses solely on your moonlighting gig, then you can wait. You can wait for a better job. You yeah. can negotiate harder for your next job. Like that's super powerful. But if you don't have that moonlighting piece, then now like you got to wait until the termination without cause clause ends. And then you have to request a moonlighting job. And then you got the same issue, right? Like there's a delay in credentialing, that sort of thing. So you, you don't have a bridge. Um, I love talking about how those two things are connected. Um, also, your termination without cause clause should have uh, a big impact on your family like emergency fund, your personal finances. If your termination without cause clause is super short, you need to think how many months am I going to be without compensation until I get my next my next job? And if you don't have enough in that in that account to cover your expenses during that time, well, now you might have to take a not so attractive job. You might have to try to grab one of the first things that's available to you. So that can have a huge impact. Uh, but all of these provisions really need to be read in conjunction with each other because they all have an impact uh, on, on each other. Like if you look also at some of the compensation pieces, usually there's bonuses, either productivity bonuses or quality metric bonuses or signing bonuses that are paid out at a certain time. Okay. They're paid out on May 1st of the following year. Some will require you to be employed both at the time that you earned it during that year of service and then also at the time that it's actually paid such that sometimes there's incentives to terminate your contract at a particular time like there's advantages here and there so when you're planning let's say you're you're no longer want to be employed by your current job you're looking for a new job there's often some sort of timeline that puts more money in your pocket and you want to know about that. So you got to yeah. read the entire contract to figure that out and read it in detail. Uh, my hope is that with producing as much content as possible, I can help physicians do that. But that's where I tend to try to add as much value as possible. No, and it shows clearly. I think this whole idea of reading through the provisions and then gaming out how those provisions would affect you materially is something you discuss quite frequently but it's not intuitive to the physician who may be encountering a contract for the first time. So besides following you on social media, shameless plug, uh, what can physicians do to really prepare for their first contract negotiation? Um, I would say get some, some good guidance, maybe outside of your residency program. Mm. I love my preceptors. They do such a good job. 
okay? But they might not be the best at also teaching you um, what does a partnership track look like? Like they might not know because like they probably, they might not have done it themselves. You know, they, they may or may not have had some other job history, some other experiences that they can, they can share with you. But sometimes that might not be the best place. Like you have gone to them for the last four or five or six years for every important question with your career. Uh, so sometimes I see them going to to the preceptor, whoever is in charge and asking for advice on the contract. Um, they don't always have the best advice on that particular issue. So you might need to reach out into your network, reach out in your into your community and talk to some folks who have some varied experiences and what their experiences have been like. Um, but man, besides that, there are some CMEs out there. There are some folks that are looking to create like more encompassing courses to train physicians that might be in my future, who knows, but uh, there might be opportunities like that to educate yourself, but it can be very challenging. Yeah. And what's the best way a physician can get a hold of you? If they want to leverage your services, they've read your content, they say, this is something that I need additional help with. What's the best way they can get a hold of you? Yeah. Best way is through my website. Uh, I have physiciancontracts.com. Very obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> Not hiding the ball. Uh, so physiciancontracts.com. My, uh, my law firm is called Michael Johnson Legal. And I have that website as well, michaeljohnsonlegal.com. Um, and then also through my IG page, if you send me a DM, I'll send you some uh, links or send you my email address. My email address is mej my initials, M-E-J at michaeljohnsonlegal.com. Uh, thank you so much for that. I think what you're providing is a valuable resource that more and more physicians need to learn about. And I hope that in highlighting what benefits you offer, people will be more encouraged to reach out to you and utilize your services. Yeah, I, look, I agree. It doesn't have to be me, though. There are folks that do this very well, okay? And there are folks that uh, have have dedicated their careers to to serving physicians in a real way. So if it's not me, I do encourage physicians, especially on that first contract, to find someone that can really break it down to them and and help them understand. It's money well spent. If you compare it to any other like business transaction, for physicians, this contract is probably going to last two to five to ten years. So mm -hmm. if you think about how much money they're going to earn. This is a probably half a million contract and maybe a five or 10 million contract. Like no business in their right mind would just sign a contract with that much money on the line, that much going on without legal support. Yeah. Like it just wouldn't, it, it wouldn't make any sense. So uh, it is a, a necessary expense. Uh, I expand, uh, I spread out costs over 12 months for any new, new residents coming out, any new uh, fellows coming out. Um, find someone that will help you out on costs a little bit, but take the time to do this right. You know, if you don't understand what you're getting into, it can be super painful, super expensive to get out of. And there's just so much on the line. So uh, make sure you get good assistance uh, during this time. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Of course. Thank you, bud.